According to the score, uh, or rather, according to, I'm sorry, Michael McCarthy of Front Office Sports, Amazon Prime Video is eyeing Breeze not for their Thursday night telecast, which is Al Michaels and Kirk Herbstreet, their main Thursday night telecast, right? They're looking for Breeze as a potential alternate for a separate broadcast. Now, you know, Prime did some alternate broadcasts for some of the games they would air on Thursday nights, which also aired on other networks. They might have might own NFL Network or CBS or Fox, and Prime would also air it. Like they, in the past, when they had air a Thursday night game, you could get it everywhere. But there was a um, different broadcast that had, I don't, I, I'll be honest, I never heard it. But you could go to it, and it had two females calling the game. I forget exactly who it was. Maybe Michelle Tafoya was one of them. You know, some notable names. And they did that not every single week, just a couple times here and there. My, my, my point is, they've had alternate casts before. Now, Amazon's saying, hey, let's do something for four to six weeks in support of our main Thursday night football broadcast and just kind of have it on the side. And they think that having Drew Brees on an alternate, like God bless Drew, but but come on, this ain't this ain't the Manning cast. This isn't let's have a party somewhere and have guys with impeccable humor and uh, you know good comedic timing and good interview skills to talk to other people in the world of sports during the game while also analyzing the game. According to the report, it would be a, a alter, alternate broadcast that would feature only quarterbacks. Maybe some of you listening would be like, I'll check that out. It's Drew Brees. Put him in a room with Dan Marino. I'll check. Really? You would? Because I ain't. Sorry. The network also reportedly has shown interest in adding Pat McAfee for an alternative Thursday night football telecast. Now you're talking. If it's not a quarterback only thing, if you put McAfee and Breeze together, I don't, I don't think it would be great television because Breeze wouldn't know what to do. But having the like crazy class clown in there with the um, Eagle Scout would make for some pretty awkward moments, which I would be, I, that would be funny. I'd be like, maybe I'll check this out. But guys, at the end of the day, does it really matter? Does it really matter? Look, I love Kevin Harlan on play-by-play. I I think Chris Collinsworth, I know a lot of people can't stand him. I think he's good on Sunday night football. I enjoy Gus Johnson going crazy when he calls the game. I mean, there, there are things in Al Michaels, come on, the legend. Love it. I'm not saying I don't like or dislike how some games are called by certain broadcasters. I do. But I, in my entire life, when it comes to watching the NFL, have never not watched or watched a game based on who is broadcasting it. Now, look, back in the day, you'd hear John Madden, you'd hear Pat Summerall, and you just knew it just felt like a big game. It felt like a big moment. There's something to it. I get it. I think Monday Night Football getting Joe Buck and Troy Aikman is a good thing. I thought Jason Witten was bad. I thought Booger McFarlane was, you know, 
not great. But if, if it was a good game on Monday Night Football, I still watch because it was Monday Night Football and it was the NFL. Like, do, do, do all these alternative broadcasts on Amazon, are they really going to matter? I'm sure, well, I'm sure Brittany Breeze likes the idea of it. It's like, oh, Drew, now you only have to go four to six weeks out of the year to go call a game somewhere that I don't know how many people are actually going to watch an alternative broadcast of you breaking it down. Are you not going to watch the Thursday night game this year if it's on because of who's broadcasting it? Are you going to watch a game? There might be a few out there, but come on. It's the NFL. I've heard plenty of people say, especially in the last five years, I'm done with the NFL. I'm not watching it again. The ratings keep going up year to year. If you're not, then two other people have taken your place. And they're watching. So I, I don't even, you know, Drew Brees, alternative broadcast. All right. Cool, I guess. Nah. Nah. Say, uh, uh, it just doesn't, it just doesn't move the needle for me. It doesn't. ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. I'm Scott Prather coming at you on a Thursday morning, July the 14th. Coming up next, the great Phil Steele. You want college football? You want the college football fix? You want to hear about the Cajuns? You want to hear about the Sunbelt? You want to hear about the LSU Tigers? You want to hear from the guy that has been the most accurate predictor of who's going to be in the college football playoff, who's going to be the most improved team in college football, who's going to be the best mid-major year after year after year. The proof is in the pudding. He is it. And he joins me next right here on The Great Scott Show on ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. This is Rich Eisen. You can hear me every day on ESPN Lafayette from noon to 3 on The Rich Eisen Show. This is the one place where you can really let the referees know exactly how you feel. This is NFL, which stands for not for long when you make them calls. ESPN Lafayette, ESPNLafayette.com, and the ESPN Lafayette app. Welcome back into the great Scott show ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports by his request. So what you want by the BC boys? That was Phil Steele's request. The uh, man behind the ultimate college football preview every year, the 2022 20, uh, version 
is available now. Go to Barnes & Nobles, pick it up if you don't already have it. It is the book that the experts or anybody that loves college football cannot do without. Good morning, Phil. How are you, man? How's life? Oh, great, Scott. Uh, I get to talk football all day long during the summer, so my favorite months of the year are probably June, July, and August. Uh, no no deadlines, just talking football. Yeah, I know that there, there are plenty of deadlines before, but when that thing hits the news rack, you're doing a lot of these, and we appreciate you taking the time with us. So I, I think I asked you this last year, but it's an important question. What What is your favorite Beastie Boys song of all time, Phil? <laughs> I don't recall you asking me that one uh, last year, Scott. And, and there are a couple of Beastie Boys songs that I like, but uh, I can't really pick a favorite right now. Yeah, I get it. It's like Sophie's Choice, right? Um, yeah, there you go. <laughs> the the college football preview from Phil Steele. Um, again, you can get it at Barnes & Noble now, uh, philsteele.com. You can follow Phil's account on Twitter at philsteele042. I say it every year. It is the most comprehensive guide to each college football season. It's also the most accurate predictor, right? You have over 350 full-color pages, stats, trends, angles, returning starters. So uh, for those that might be a new listener, right, maybe they maybe they don't know about Phil Steele. They probably do, but there's maybe a few that don't. When I say most accurate and you say most accurate, there is a reason behind that. Can you explain to our audience why that is one of the monikers that's followed you around for so many years? Yeah, and, you know, there's a, a thing nowadays where, you know, you wonder, uh, there's always a prejudice in there, you know, when you're, when you're coming up on uh, evaluating things. But there is none here. The, uh, the most accurate is a site, a site called preseason.stats.com. And what he does is basically if you pick a team fifth in the league in the division and they finish third, you get two points. If you pick a team first and they finish first, you get zero points. He adds up all the points, and the low score wins, much like golf. So there's really no bias involved in it. It's a straight prediction accuracy of who predicts the the divisions the closest. And i got to tell you, back in the beginning, this is the 28th year of the magazine, 1995-1996, I didn't even know this site existed. And then I looked at the site, and I, I saw my rankings were low on there, and it was because I wasn't predicting all the conferences. So, you know, at that point, we added all the conferences, put the predictions in for each of the conferences, and all of a sudden we vaulted up to uh, number one most accurate. And that's where we've been over the last 28 years. So with that, let me ask you a couple of, I guess, predictions. Who, and, and you probably have more than one here, but <clears throat> you can rank them. Surprise teams for 2022. And when when we say surprise, that might mean a number of things to different people, but you always have sort of a, 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 a you know, define reason why they would be a surprise team. Yeah, and my surprise team list, uh, what I do is every spring I come up with uh, who the preseason top 10 is going to be for the upcoming year. And then I say, all right, well, it wouldn't be a surprise if the top 10 team gets into the playoff mix, so I'm going to pick the other ones. By the way, we've had pretty good success judging those in the spring of where the AP poll comes out. Uh, I think uh, only four years have we not hit the top 10 in the last 13. So uh, like the last four years in a row, we've uh, predicted it uh, 40 out of 40 teams. So I take those out of the equation, and then I say, okay, a surprise team would be a non-top 10 team that I think has a shot of making the playoff. And this year, my number one most uh, number one surprise team is the Pitt Panthers. And I know Pitt 
won the ACC last year, but I think expectations are low for Pitt heading into this year due to the fact they lost Kenny Pickett, the quarterback, in the first round. And then they lost Jordan Addison to USC, which uh, really hurt them. But when I look at Pitt this year, I see a dominant defensive line, as always, under Pat Narduzzi. In fact, I rate him the number two defensive line in the country. They're also solid at linebacker and DB. I like the replacement at quarterback in Keaton Slovis. When I talked to Coach Narduzzi, he felt they had the wide receivers that were good enough to win the ACC. And then you look at the schedule this year and go over it, and they could very well be favored in all their games with the exception of Miami of Florida in the season final. Uh, where they're a three-point dog right now. So I I think when you add it all up, Pitt would have that opportunity. And another one is actually on my most improved. Well, let me, you know, we'll probably talk about most improved. So let me go to my number three surprise team, and that's the NC State Wolfpack, also out of the ACC. And when you look at NC State, they've got practically everybody back. Uh, You look at the defensive line. Uh, I rate uh, number 19 in the country to linebacking core, number two, the DBs, number three. So a top-notch defense, a veteran quarterback uh, in Devin Leary, and some solid offensive line play as well. And for NC State, the key game of their schedule is going to be October 1st when they travel to face Clemson. Now, they knocked them off in overtime last year. If they can get that win in Death Valley, then NC State would find itself on the path to being a surprise team this year. You mentioned most improved. It's it's one of my questions as always. Wh- who is and why, in your mind, will they be the most improved team in college football in 2022? You know, and interestingly, Scott, I, I write the magazine in three different uh, times. Uh, the first time is postseason. And in the postseason, uh, what I do is I read through every article that's written about that team for the season. I see who is lost, who I think is coming back, and write each of the positions. And at that point, uh, the postseason write-through, which is generally done in the months of December or January, I didn't have USC very high. But with the hiring of Lincoln Riley and then what he's done through the transfer portal, they kept moving up in my rankings. Uh, and now to the point where he brought in Caleb Williams, his quarterback from Oklahoma. He brought in Mario Williams, one of his top wide receivers from Oklahoma. He brought in Jordan Addison, the Blitnikoff winner in May. Brought in Travis Dye, a thousand-yard rusher from Oregon. And when I talked to Coach Riley and went over the uh, offensive line with him, he really likes the top-end experience that he has, and he didn't expect to inherit this much talent. Then you look at him defensively. They've got about 11 or 12 transfers coming in. Guys like Shane Lee, who started 13 games for Alabama in 2019. Uh, Mackay Blackman, who's one of the top cornerbacks in the country, would be rated higher if he wasn't playing at Colorado. He'll get that acclaim now that he's at USC. So the talent's actually there. I made him my number one most improved team, and then I skipped over a team when I was talking about the surprise teams. So my number two surprise team, if they can somehow win at Utah, I think this team goes from four and eight last last year, all the way up to double-digit wins and potentially the Pac-12 this season. ESPN Live, he had the best ticket in sports. Great stuff from Phil Steele. His college football preview is available now. The 2022 and his hit the shelves. You can go get it here in Lafayette at Barnes & Noble right now. Uh, you can get a digital version over at philsteele.com. Uh, so the the opposite of most improved, Phil. Which which team do you feel like takes the biggest drop off this year? The biggest fall? Uh, I would say there's a couple of teams that probably had a lot of good things in going their way last year. Fortunate wise, that probably won't have that same type of thing. Uh, you know, one team to look at potentially. 
would be a, a team uh, like Nevada. Uh, I think Nevada takes a massive drop this year. Nevada last year was a contender in the Mountain West Conference. They had an explosive offense, uh, and they were very high on my radar, and they, they won a lot of games. Now this year, Nevada loses practically everybody from the squad, including their head coach. Their head coach went over to Colorado State and then started plucking players off the roster who followed him to Colorado State, which has me thinking Colorado State's going to be a much improved team. But Nevada, with just six returning starters, a first-year head coach in Ken Wilson, and when I went over the team with Coach Wilson, uh, keep in mind this is a Nevada team that was 8-5 and five last year, and, and like I said, they had an explosive offense. When I went over the team with them, they have a lot of walk-ons in the two deep. And I, I told them, I said, it's going to be enjoyable talking to you in your third or fourth year when you've built this roster and all of a sudden you're going two, three deep at most positions. But for this year, it sure looks like a rebuilding year for Nevada. Coming off a very good and prosperous run under Jay Norvell the last couple of years. Good stuff. So, I, you know, one thing I wanted to ask you as well, uh, Phil, is conference realignment. Now, it's a conversation that you and I have had for years, right? It, it started... You know, a decade or so ago when a lot of teams started moving and you saw a little bit of a shakeup. Now, I, I think what's happening now isn't a surprise because you think about it, TV money and things like that. But if I had told you, you know, 10, 11 years ago, yeah, USC, UCLA, they're going to want to make a run to the Big Ten. And, you know, at that, you know, L, uh, Oklahoma and Texas will be in the SEC. And you'd probably be like, wait, what? How, that That's a lot can happen in 10 years. And how how does that impact you in your job? Like you obviously each conference you rank them it you, it has a lot to do with how you predict it. Like does it make your job more difficult? Does it make it easier? And and what are your overall thoughts on the latest big wave of conference realignment? Yeah, and I tell you, Scott, uh, you probably asked me the question a couple of years ago, where college football is heading, and just two years ago I would have said, you know what, we're headed for five 16-team super conferences. I thought there would be the ACC, the Big 12, the Pac-12, the SEC, and the Big, 12, Big 10 all getting up to 16 teams, and all of a sudden we've got five 16-team super conferences. Now looks like we might be headed to two or three super conferences with the way the Big Ten and the SEC are gobbling up the major programs. And it's tough for anybody else to even compete with those two titans out there due to the TV money, which is just massive. And really, if you're TV, you want to be aligned with either the Big Ten or the SEC. Now, how it affects the magazine, it really doesn't because of the fact that all my predictions for the Pac-12, let's take the Pac-12, for example, this year, all my predictions are based on this year's Pac-12 teams and USC and UCLA playing in the Pac-12. Now, two years from now, it really will shake it up. As far as the the moving of the teams and conferences, it does make it uh, difficult. Sort of like COVID made things difficult last year. You know, we had teams coming off four-game seasons. We had a couple teams coming off zero-game seasons. We had teams coming off 12-game seasons last year. That was probably a little more difficult to deal with, but still, when you're dealing with how USC and UCLA have stacked up against the Pac-12, how do you fit them into the Big Ten, and how are they going to fit in uh, to the games there? That will make it a little more difficult in the future. But as far as this year's magazine goes, at least we knew all the teams that were playing in each of their conferences. Phil Steele, our guest. All right, let's 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 dig into the Sun Belt. I want to talk UL. I do want to get LSU and SEC takes from you as well. But let's start with, uh, with Louisiana. I know, um, I guess, a, a month or, or two ago, you had a long conversation with new head coach, uh, Michael Desermo, and 
Louisiana's riding the longest win streak in the country, but they've they've lost a significant amount of, you know, whether it be staff, they've lost some key seniors, key players, a multiple-year starter at quarterback. Uh, what is your prognosis for Louisiana Rage Cajun football overall this year as well as within the Sun Belt? Well, I tell you what, last year was something else. And at uh, 13 and one, uh, finishing uh, top 16 in the country, and a very impressive season. As you touched on, losing Coach Napier to Florida, um, losing their outstanding wide, uh, quarterback Levi Lewis, two of the top three runners, and a lot of big players off the defense. I mean, the top three linebackers are all gone, plus four starters on that offensive line, and. It's something that not a lot of folks concentrate on, but the offensive line many times is the key to the offense. Uh, the one couple of advantages for Louisiana this year, they get to play in the West. I think the Sun Belt East is a loaded division. You look at them one through six, I think they've got six teams that are very capable of making a lot of noise. Meanwhile, the West, uh, Louisiana gets to play a little bit more watered down of a schedule. There's some teams on the rise there. Troy, Southern Miss, South Alabama are all teams on the rise. I would much rather play it in the West. And I think if Louisiana is going to go through the losses they did this season, only having 11 returning starters and losing a lot of their key players, uh, you want to have a lighter schedule. And and, and I think they've got a schedule that's very doable this year. In fact, I rate it number 130 in the country. The toughest games are going to be at Marshall. I think Marshall makes a lot of noise in the Sun Belt this year. At Southern Miss and at Florida State. Other than that, I think they're favored in all their games. I do see them repeating as the Sun Belt West champs, but they're going to have a tougher, I think, uh, Sun Belt title game this year with whoever comes out of that East division. You, so you you like Louisiana to win the West? What is who? who just take us through it. The seven teams. Where do you see each one uh, finishing? What are your predictions? Yeah, I got Louisiana number one. I think overall talent wise, the way that program was built by Coach Napier and DeSormo is a guy that uh, I think is going to step right in. He knows this team very well and get them to the title. Uh, probably the biggest contender is going to be Troy. I think John Sumrall steps into a good situation. He's got 18 returning starters coming back, including QB Gunnar Watson. He's got one of the best defensive lines, one of the best linebacking units in the country. It's going to be a nasty defense. And Sumrall's a guy that was here during Troy's heyday when they won the uh, double-digit wins in 16, 17, 18. He was there. He knows how to get it done. Uh, he's a hard worker. Really enjoyed talking to Coach Summerall this uh, spring, post-spring, going over the team with them. And I think he gets Troy right up there towards the top. Southern Miss, you know, Will Hall's a guy who last year told me to put him on the most improved list, but then he got hit hard by injuries. And, uh, you know, they ended up playing, what, six, seven quarterbacks yeah, last year, yeah. including running backs at quarterback. I think Southern Miss would be a much improved team. If Ty Key stays healthy, they're in really good shape at the quarterback spot. Overall, this is his second year, and almost every coach will tell you that second year there's a lot of improvement. They know the players inside and out. The players know the system. They've had a full recruiting class, and I think Southern Miss really makes a large jump. In fact, they're on my most improved team. South Alabama, it sure looked like they were going to make a bowl last year. They opened up the season 5-3, and three, one win away from a bowl, and then they lost their last four. Kane Womack's another one of those. He's a second-year head coach. I do see improvement there. He also has uh, 16 returning starters coming back. Now, they do lose two key players. 
The first one is quarterback Jake Bentley, who is the uh, Pac, uh, the uh, Utah slash South Carolina transfer. The other one is uh, Jalen Tolbert. Uh, Tolbert, of course, a dynamic receiver in the Sun Belt. But I like Carter Bradley, a wide receiver. They have a top-notch defense. I think they break through and make it to a bowl game. For Jake Spavadol at Texas State, this should be a big year for him. It's his fourth year. You know, two years ago, I, I got to watch – Due to the COVID, uh, a lot of the Texas State games are right in my mainframe. I got to watch them, and, and I was shocked that Texas State went two and ten because they were actually, you know, you would have thought they won four, five, or six of their games that year. They were that close. A lot of close losses. Last year they improved to four wins. I think they could improve again this year. They're a borderline bowl team. They're going to have to win some games early. They should take advantage of a rebuilding Nevada in the opener and FIU and Houston Baptist could jump off to a three and one start. I could see them getting back to a bowl game, which, as I mentioned, the West has got a lot of improving teams. Arkansas State, I think Butch Jones, who brought in the best recruiting class in the Sun Belt this year, may uh, have one more rebuilding year under him. He's got 10 returning starters coming back, a great recruiting class, but a tough schedule on the line. Uh, I see them finishing a little short of a bowl game. Their defense was improved in the second half of last year. I think the last three, four games, we saw them improve. They only have five starters back. They're going to have to play to the level they did at the end of the year because their defense was horrible at the start of last year. That's why I think a a second rebuilding year for Arkansas State. And finally, ULM, don't discount Terry Bowden any day of the week. Look at last year, the upsets he pulled. A 23.5-point dog, they upset Troy. Liberty, a 35-point dog, they upset Liberty. South Alabama, two-touchdown dog, once again pulled the upset. He's better this year. He's a second-year head coach. Only four starters back on the defense. They're probably going to be an underdog in 10 games, but I see him pulling some upsets out there. So if you're playing ULM, you better come to play against them every week because they will pull those upsets. Phil Steele, our guest, ESPN Lafayette. In the East, you said six of seven teams could potentially win it. It's highly competitive. Um, it should be strong. So I guess start with the obvious choice of who you don't think could win it, and then the pecking order of of, of where you think each team will finish. Yeah, and I, I went with Georgia Southern, and you know I'll tell you, Scott, uh, I've been doing this for twenty eight years, and generally when you take an option team and convert them to a pass offense, Ooh. it's a three to four year process because your offensive linemen were brought in to be blockers in the option. Your receiving core has met more of blockers, and your quarterback is a guy who's more valuable with his legs than with his arm. Uh, I think Helton does have some advantages this year. First of all, when I talked to Helton, Coach Helton going over the team with him, he was shocked at the talent he had receiver. Hood, Jones, and Burgess, he said, could play for him anywhere in a pass offense. So he thought they had better receivers than he expected coming in. And also the the uh, transfer portal has really helped out in the fact that he was able to bring in a lot of transfers on the offensive line to help out there. Kyle Van Trees is a guy who uh, caught some people's attention at Buffalo last year, and he's more of a, a pro-style quarterback that can run, but he can definitely throw the football. And there's talent on the defensive side of the ball. I still think the transition's going to be too much. They are going to a pure pass offense from the option, and I think that's going to be a, a two- to three-year process. But the other six teams, my favorite to win the East is App State. And when you look at App State, it's uh, you know the third year uh, this season for um, – 
Coach Clark, and uh, you got to like Chase Bryce. Cut down on the turnovers that he had the previous year at Duke. Had a 27-11 ratio, a solid leader. They've got one of the best offensive lines in the country, and defensively, they have a lot of units. They're ranking my top units in the in the country. They're only going to be an underdog uh, at Texas A&M. I rate the North Carolina game a toss-up, and at Marshall would be a toss-up. But they're my favorites to win the division. I think they have the most talent, and it's the third year for Sean Clark. Marshall's going to step right in. Charles Huff's a guy that was doing a great job last year. They didn't have quite the finish expected, and they also lost a couple of close games, but they got 11 returning starters. Uh, Rasheen Ali is a guy that's very dynamic at the running back spot. If they can get good quarterback play, they're going to be dangerous. And keep in mind, at Joan C. Edwards Stadium there in Marshall, uh, a lot of the Sunbelt teams have not traveled there. That's going to heighten their already outstanding home field edge. I think Marshall's going to be a player in the East. Coastal Carolina, only seven returning starters, but one of them is Grayson McCall. And with Grayson McCall back, you got a chance. Reese White and Brandon, uh, Braden Bennett at the running back spots. And uh, the thing with uh, Ch- uh, Chadwell, Coach Chadwell, I should say, uh, is that he has surprised in each of his first two years. I think with the amount of players they lost, they probably won't match last year's 11-win total. But don't discount Coastal's chances of contending there. Georgia State, Sean Elliott and company, heck, last year they had Auburn beat, and they ended up losing that game. Uh, and it looks like a 10-point loss, but, I mean, they could easily have won that game. Is sure they get North Carolina at home? Big. They open up with that South Carolina. He does it the right way. He does it with a strong run game, which he's got. He's got a deep backfield and a strong offensive line, and also a top-notch defense. I think this is Elliott's best, best team he's put on the field in his six years here at Georgia State, and he's had some pretty good ones. With Old Dominion, you know, uh, Ricky Ronnie is a guy that last year surprised me because they were a team that hadn't played in 2020 and had the fewest among the fewest returning starters in the country. Uh, this year, when you look at Old Dominion, they've got 17 returning starters. They gained a lot of confidence late in the year by winning their final five games, came up just short in a bowl game. Uh, I think that confidence level, the experience level, will really help them in the transition. I think Old Dominion makes some noise in the East. And then how do you discount James Madison? Kurt Signetti's got, uh, got a team that uh, in, went 14-2 and two in the FCS in 19, 7-1 and one the next year, 12-2 and two last year. He's lost to the eventual FCS champion in the playoffs each of the last three years. Now, he only does have nine returning starters, or else I probably would have picked him a little bit higher. But I like the talent that they have overall, and James Madison's going to be a tough test. Plus, nobody's played him, so they're tough to prepare for on a weekly basis. So overall, the East looks brutal, especially when you get down to your number six team is James Madison, a perennial uh, FCS powerhouse. Phil Steele. Our guest, his college football preview available now. Go get it at Barnes & Noble. All right, Phil, I know you got a heart out here in five minutes. So uh, LSU, Brian Kelly, year one, what is your prediction for the Tigers? What, Where do you think their biggest strength is, and where do you think their biggest concern is? The uh, biggest strength for me is clearly the defensive line. I thought they were dominant in the spring, and I think if you watch this defensive line this year, they have the chance to be dominant. My biggest question mark is, on the flip side of the coin, the offensive line, they lose practically everybody off the offensive line, and that is a concern to me. They brought in a couple of transfers, which should be able to step in, but it's a brand-new offense with a brand-new offensive line. They've got talent at the quarterback position, but will those quarterbacks have time to throw the ball? Uh, overall, outlook for LSU is, 
you know, if you're an LSU fan, I don't think it's going to be anything like that dream season of 2019 when they went 15-0. and But it's probably a bowl season is probable in the first year, despite the fact they only have 11 returning starters. I like what Kelly did in the transfer portal. But overall, that West, pretty tough. I just see them as a middle-of-the-road team in the West this year, as opposed to the powerhouse that you're used to with LSU. So what, you have them finish in, what, fourth? Actually, I've got them all the way down at six, but okay. i got to be honest with you, Scott. In my March, when I looked at it, I had number one Alabama, number two Texas A&M, and then I had a five-way tie for third. And and really, at the end, I, I couldn't put anybody seventh, and it was tough to come up with somebody to put third. I think all five of those teams are pretty equal. Eventually, I didn't want to come out with a five-way tie, so Mississippi State, due to their schedule, LSU, due to the fact of all the transition they had, I put those guys tied for six. There you go. And then in the East, you don't need to break down each one. Obviously, Georgia, the defending champ, they're loaded. Billy Napier, his first year at Florida, Kentucky, Mizzou, South Carolina, Tennessee, Vandy. Um, you don't, I know you don't have enough time to break down each one, but how do you see the SEC East shaking out? Georgia. And I think, Scott, the main thing this year is we're going to re- see a return of the powerhouses. Last year, when I talked to the head coaches, 90% of them had 17, 18, 19 returning starters due to COVID. They had everybody back, told me they'd never been able to play three teams in the spring. They're as deep as they ever were. The only teams that weren't were Clemson, which had a fa- which didn't even make the ACC title game. Ohio State didn't make the Big Ten title game. Oklahoma didn't make the Big 12 title game. Heck, Alabama lost to Texas A&M, and had they lost to Auburn, uh, they probably wouldn't even have been in the uh, SEC title game. And they had a new loss to LSU as well as a huge favorite. But this year, everybody's on the same playing field. So I think the powerhouses return. I do see Georgia winning the East, and I don't see anybody really contending with them. I see Alabama winning the West. I don't see anybody contending with them. And I also see uh, teams like Clemson and uh, also Ohio State returning to power this year, not only getting back to undefeated, winning their division, or conference, but uh, making a playoff this year. All right, Phil. I'm, I got last questions. I'll ask them all at once. Um, best mid-major team this year, and then your prediction for the college football playoff and the national championship. Yeah, to me, the uh, the team of the uh, the mid-majors has the best chance of running the table. Might be UCF for getting close to it. Uh, UCF, Cincinnati, Houston, all there in the American. But I like that. I like what uh, Malzahn's doing there. At and I think he's going to do great. And then as far as the uh, playoff structure goes, i got to go with Alabama. Ohio State is one and two into the playoff with uh, Georgia and Clemson three and four. I do see Alabama and Ohio State meeting in the national title game. Way too much talent. Very experienced teams. They are more experienced than they were last year. And so I see Alabama and Ohio State meeting in the title game. And I went with Bama to win it all. The usual suspects, but hey, they're the usual suspects for a reason. And to your point, Phil, with a lot of the super seniors in the extra year after COVID, you know, things start leveling out more so this year when it comes to the powerhouses in each conference. That is Phil Steele. He has been our guest. Go get the college football preview. Phil Steele's college football preview, the 2022 version available now. You can get it at Barnes & Noble's digital versions available at philsteele.com. And you can follow him on Twitter at philsteele042 the most accurate and uh, comprehensive guide to each college football season. I always look forward to this conversation every single summer, Phil. It's like when, you're, when your magazine hits the shelves, it's, it's like a, a college football kind of unofficial holiday in a lot of ways. So 
I appreciate you doing this over the last 28 years and coming on this show over the last 12 and uh, continued success, my friend. All the best. I appreciate that, Scott. And always fun talking football with you, my friend. Always, always, Phil. All the best, brother. Have a good one. All right. There it is, the great Phil Steele. I, I wish I had more time with him. He had a hard out today. I only had about know, 28 minutes or so. I could. There are some years where he doesn't, you know, he's just kind of, hey, I got as much time as I need, and we I just pick his brain for hours. Um, but good stuff there. UCF, as he thinks, is the best mid-major team this year. Interesting, in breaking down UL, he says, look, from a schedule standpoint, he has it ranked at 130. Being in the West Division this year is good for them, considering, you know, they're, they don't have a ton of returning starters. You have some trans, you know, some, a new head coach, granted one that's familiar and has been there as an assistant, but says he, he expects them, his prediction is that they win the West again. East is loaded. He has LSU finishing sixth in the SEC West, but says, look, you got Alabama and A&M, and then from there, between Auburn, Arkansas, Mississippi State, and Ole Miss, and LSU, any of them could finish third. And then he said, look, you got Georgia in the East, and that's that. That's it. He likes Bama and Ohio State in the national championship game. The great Phil Steele. I'm Scott Prather. This is ESPN Lafayette. The best ticket in sports. Stay tuned. Up next, Adam Silver made some comments at NBA Summer League about superstar players requesting trades. He thinks it's a bad thing. Perhaps he should look in the mirror. I'll explain next. This is the great Scott show on ESPN Lafayette. The best ticket in sports. Sports fans, this is Rich Eisen reminding you to catch the Rich Eisen Show every weekday from 12 to 3 on ESPN Lafayette. Now, back to more of the Great Scott Show with Scott Prather. Into the great Scott show, ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. Nick Sheremy joining me in 10 minutes for the 8 o'clock hour. Summer League continues in Vegas for the NBA. Pelicans uh, win last night. They're Summer League guys. No, I'm not going to start breaking down Summer League play. Don't worry. Was cool to see a lot of the main roster there. Hanging out, spending time. Zion, CJ, Ingram, Herb, Jones, Jose, all there supporting Trey Murphy and the younger guy, Najee. But 
I, I want I want to harp on something that Adam Silver said while he was there, and that is that he doesn't think players, superstar players, requesting trades when they're under contract is a good thing for the league. For the record, when it comes to that point, I agree with them to an extent. I don't like it. But for him to say that it's a good thing for the league, or excuse me, not a good thing for the league, a bad thing, something that that needs to be addressed. I look at this two ways. Either one, he's lying, or two, he's a hypocrite. Let me explain. One, is it bad for the league? Is it bad? The NBA gets talked about during the offseason. The NBA gets talked about more for its off-the-court, its personalities, its players, the superstar empowerment, who's requesting a trade, trade request, the trade machine, the drama, nonstop, all the time. Does that always equal ratings for a regular season game between the, the, the Hornets and the Kings? Nah, no. Does it equal more money in a different way for the league? In some ways, it can. It, it, it does. Right? The interest in the off-the-court reality show aspects of the NBA and the locker room side of things and a, super, a disgruntled superstar drives sports talk radio and debate shows. And you could say it drives them into the ground. It doesn't. Ratings say it doesn't. So, does he really think it's bad for the league? In some regards, it is. Across the board, I think deep down he knows, you know, there's some aspects of it that are good for the league. You know, this is an apples to oranges comparison, so I'm not saying they're exactly alike. But Bud Selig acted like, oh, steroids ruin baseball and we have a big problem. Meanwhile, in 98, when McGuire and Sosa are jacking one park out of the other, just bam, 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 home run after home run, the chase for Maris, they were sitting there yoking it up. Guys like, you know, Sean Young sitting over 50 homers and Brady Anderson and all, you're like, whoa, the long ball, this is great. It's so good for the game. And then a few years later, this is a travesty. We have to do something about it. Knowing deep down, now nah, you kind of liked all of that because it helped you. Long term, it's one thing if a superstar is entering like the last year of his deal and ass out. I'm, I'm not comparing what Anthony Davis did to Kevin Durant because Kevin Durant hadn't even played a single game of his extension that he signed in Brooklyn. That's kicking in this season. He's not going into the last year with a player option. No. That's four-year, 191 mil. This is different, but either he's lying when he says he doesn't like it or he's critical of it, or let's say, let's say he's being authentic. He doesn't like it. He's being critical of it. Well, guess who you need to blame? Adam Silver. Well, he works for the owners. Um, Has there been a more player friendly, I'll use that word, commissioner 
in the history of American sports than Adam Silver? I, I know there's a give and a take here, and I'm all for, for players having some power, and you don't want the owners to do everything. But, I mean, David Stern, he, he, he did things a little differently. So, yeah, players feel entitled. They can ask for tra- – I say players, superstar players. I, I don't like calling it the player empowerment era. It's the superstar empowerment era. That's what it is. But Adam Silver works for the owners, not the players, and he's been very pro-player. But it, shouldn't he be partly to blame? Either he's lying or he's a hypocrite. And neither one's a good look. And I, I don't I don't dislike Adam Silver per se. But don't don't sit there and act like you're super critical. Bud Selig sitting there acting all critical about steroids and baseball. Like, come on. Now I, again, apples to oranges. I'm not saying the two are the same and Anything like that. I think you can see the similarities I'm pointing to in each. When it benefits the commish, they'll say all the good, right things about it. Well, we want we want our players to have some say. We want this. We think it's good for the league. We like the headlines. We like this. Oh, and now more people are complaining about it. Now you have players asking out before their extension even begins. And you have Ben Simmons missing all this other stuff. Now you're going to be critical of it. Now. Pretty convenient to be critical of it. Now, that's where the similarity lies. ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. I'm Scott Prather. I want to remind you that happening now and all summer long, Eat Lafayette. Eat Lafayette, happening right now. You can go to uh, ESPNLafayette.com to learn more. But... Here's the deal. You can win a trip, all expense paid, to Charlotte just by downloading the Eat Lafayette Passport and checking in when you eat at local restaurants. Visit LafayetteTravel.com for more details as well. You support local businesses. You eat delicious food at locally owned restaurants. Check in when you go to a restaurant. Simple. Takes a second. Doesn't cost you anything. And you can also win an all expense paid trip to Charlotte. Not bad. I know uh, with inflation and everything happening right now, it's kind of expensive to travel. Gas, lights, cars, everything. My God, we all got our electric bill this month. We had to look at it a couple of times and say, is this right? What? An all-expense-paid trip sounds pretty nice right now, doesn't it? So it is supporting local and eating delicious local food. Eat Lafayette. Go check it out. All right, we're going to take a timeout. We'll come back next hour. Going to be joined by Nick Sheremy. Has he ever watched a broadcast because of an announcer? What is Amazon doing with this Sean Payton thing? Excuse me, Drew Brees thing. And speaking of Sean Payton, I did say his name for a reason. Reports out of pro football talk. Is he really a report? I mean, didn't we all know that Payton probably wanted to come back in 2023 and there were a couple of teams he would be interested in coaching when he comes back, and what can the Saints potentially get if Sean Payton goes and coaches somewhere else? Quite a bit, actually. We'll break it down next hour. We'll also open up phone lines next hour, 337-269-1077. Don't go anywhere. It's the Great Scott Show. 
Coming at you on a, on a Thursday right here on ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. Head into the final furlong. All of the other radio stations and radio hosts are left in the wake of a keen turn of speed by the great Scott Show, the champion. With Scott Prather. Steal the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome into the 8 o'clock hour. Of the great Scott show. Love talking college football with Phil Steele last hour, man. We're getting closer and closer. Who says July isn't fun for sports, man? It is filled with anticipation. It is filled with plenty of headlines. Donovan Mitchell to the Knicks. Is it going to happen? Is it not? Kevin Durant, what did he tweet today? How did you improve your legacy today, Nick? Nick Sheremy <laughs> is in studio with me this hour. Good morning, sir. Good morning, good morning, man. We got uh, open phone lines this hour as well, if anyone wants to get in. 337-269-1077. You can hit us up on Twitter as well, at ESPN Lafayette. We talked last hour, I talked with Phil Steele, I talked about Drew Brees a little bit and this Amazon deal, which is just a huge step backwards in the broadcasting world. And um, hit on a number of other things. Sean Payton. Been kind of been kind of waiting on this one for a minute here, Nick. But is it guy Barry? Um, I think Barry Jackson for the Miami Herald reported that um, if three teams don't have a coach next year, Sean Payton will be a hot commodity for of them. Course. Yeah. Is that really even news? Not not really. Um, not particularly in my book. I mean. Even when he retired, he said it was it was you know. Well, he, he never he said I'm not well, retiring. Right, 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 right. But I'm saying even when he moved away from the Saints organization, it was always more of like a, this is just so I can go and do other things right now and then come back to coaching later with a different team. And and it was there was a lot of. I. I want to do broadcasting, and I, I'm really excited about it. All he's doing is just filling in for Jimmy Johnson when Jimmy can't yeah. be at Fox. Like, it's barely anything. I'm sure it's going to be nice. It's fun. You know, fly out to L.A. a few times, talk sports, get paid a lot of money for it. But, like, he's not going to have this rigorous schedule of, you know, a color analyst who's doing one to two games a week. And, you know, it's like it's a pretty cush gig there. Oh, yeah. I don't. I don't think. My point is like I don't. I don't think he's looking at that as like this is the way. This is what I'm going to do from here on out. It's not like right. a big. People are speculating all kind of big gigs, and it's like, not to insinuate that being on network television for the number one pregame show ratings wise, which is Fox, isn't big. But he's not even a permanent staple. He's just filling in for Jimmy. Yeah, I mean he's he's there as an alternate. He's there because for him this is a transition point from one coaching job to another. That's all it really is, and it's just the the where will the shoe fall, you know? Uh, well, 
According to the report, uh, the Miami Dolphins, who just hired a head coach, yeah, by did. the way, they did just, hire but him. were reportedly willing to pay Sean a hundred million dollars to team up with Tom Brady, uh, and then the Dallas Cowboys, of course, and the third team is one that I've always said would be one that Sean would love to have, and that is the L.A. Chargers. Yeah, I, I feel that one. If he went there, he would have. Full autonomy, I believe that. Oh, yeah. And he would have a young stud quarterback that he could ride for as long as he wanted to, as long as he was the coach, oh, yeah, essentially. Of yeah. I mean, he wants to go somewhere where they have a good quarterback. He gets to have the final say, and yeah. they have a contention window. Um, Miami may or may not. It really depends on Tua. Yeah. Um, Dallas, they're good, but you're not going to have full autonomy because you work for Jerry Jones. Correct. L.A. man, I you know I yeah I, I feel like Dallas is the kind of the kind of visible position that would fit Sean because you know he kind of likes to have that like big big name recognition team. I'm sure he would, but the L.A. Chargers I feel like would just be a coaching dream for him to be able to walk in and say you know have the ownerships just say, hey, just bring us you know bring us twelve wins this season, and for him to just say okay. No matter how I get that done, I will get it done. Yeah, I, I um, and and I'm, I'm again. I don't want to dismiss Dallas. I mean, those rumors have been flying for years and years sure. and years. But I uh, of the three, but you know, Miami has a brand new head coach. Yeah. The Chargers have a coach that decided to just go for it on fourth down all the time. <laughs> but they were they should have been in the, like it won't surprise anyone if they're if they're. I mean, I, I, they got a roster to contend, but then again, they're the Chargers, so you're like, they'll probably screw it up. That's, but it's yeah. it, it, it's not like you look at that roster. Like, I'm not expecting the Chargers to be bad this year, Nick, I guess is my point. So the odds of their coach being fired, he would have to just go out and, and screw up a bunch again. Yeah. Whereas I mean, in Dallas, I mean, Mike McCarthy, he sweats naturally all the time already. <laughs> He just he's always just sweating and his head looks so big on television that the heat is on, right? Yeah. Because any time they lose, because it's the Cowboys, oh, you know, they need to bring in Sean Payton. Like it's gonna be following them all season. McCarthy's seat was hot when he landed because he because of all the all the, you know, I guess bad publicity he ended up getting with his exit from Green Bay and the reasons behind that and you know, all kinds of chirps from different players. Yeah. And I it, he landed in in Dallas, and I I remember when he landed there. I was like, he's gonna last. He's either gonna last two years or ten years. You know what I'm saying? He's yeah, either they, gonna be they the usually, guy, or he's just gonna be one of those turnover coaches that just gets him to the next guy. Just he's been there for a little while now. Yeah, I've never thought of him as a, a great. I mean, I just remember his OC days with the Saints, and so I had a mm. close seat to a number of things that I'm like, mm. but. Win loss record is great, so it's like I, there's Win always loss the record is great, but he yeah. had Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, correct. He had like, he had he had Aaron Rodgers, and it's like okay, but I, I I'm a hypocrite when I talk about McCarthy because you can look at any I I always defend coach more so in the NBA I defend, but I guess in the NFL as well I'll defend coaches a lot when they're when fans are like, well, I mean Phil Jackson, look at who he yeah, had. Right. It's like well, sure. Give me a great head coach, and I don't think McCarthy is a great head coach at all, but give me a great head coach with a, with, with championship pedigree that didn't have some of the best players in the world. You're not going to find it. It doesn't right. exist. Because coaches can't play the game. Yeah. At the end of the day, the coach is just right. there to get the best out of their, so their you can, players. It's kind of a, a, a double-edged sword because you can argue one way and then always argue the other. I just, I personally 
think Mike McCarthy's game management skills are not up to par for a head coach. Yeah. Oh, uh, man. I think game management is definitely where he starts to fall apart. Like, game management, you know, like, I know the little bit of play calling he did was just not good. And it was funny that when he got the Dallas job, he said, yeah, you know, I've been studying analytics and, and some of the newer stuff. And then when he got the job, he's like, I didn't really do that. I just said that. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, uh, not, except me, because I, I did not do this at all. But don't we all kind of do that when we go to apply for a job? We're like, look, I have all these skill sets. Not me. I like how Nick says, not me, but well, don't I mean, we all? You know, well, I, I think I, I think when you're the head coach of the Cowboys and you insinuate that you're changing how you're going to be a coach, um, maybe that's part of it. I mean, to survive as a head coach, you got to evolve a little bit. And um, I don't know. I I think of those three, the Chargers are the ones that deep down he probably would want the most as far as oh, fit yeah. goes. Yeah. But I think of the three teams, the one most the, the like Brandon Staley is he's he's 39 years old. Yeah, he's entering his second year. McDaniel is entering his first year. Like, it would have to be disastrous. And I think if you're the Saints, I don't know, man. You you, you want to I, – I think for it to happen, like, if Staley just blows it in, like, four games. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, Anthony Lynn wasn't a bad coach, but he would – in the, the Chargers, there were a number of games where it's like coin flip games. They always lose them. Yeah. If Staley does the same thing, I'm sure ownership's like, look, we're in L.A., where no one really cares that much about the NFL anyway, especially us. We should be in San Diego. But, you know, the other team that a few people care about, not that many, won the Super Bowl, so they've kind of got the shine. We need to do something. We feel like we have a contending team. The only way we're going to really move the needle, and then they're like, all right, we're just going to pull the plug. We're going to go big. We're going to go for it. Yeah. Um, If a team has a disaster of a season – yeah, you could fire them, but how willing are they going to be to part with, you know, first-round pick next year? Because that's the other thing here. The Saints have a say in this. They do. The Saints have a say in this. Best-case scenario for the Saints, one of the team has a disaster. The other one is just not meeting expectations like Dallas. Mm. And the other one, it, it, like, if Miami, I don't think Miami's going to have a disaster of a season. I don't know. Um, I think it'll be mediocre. It really just depends on Tua. That's yeah. they 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 have put in, they have invested in all the other parts of the roster. Mm-hmm. But what you want as the Saints fans is two to three teams that all want Peyton. Then you're going to get some real good compensation. Yeah. If it's just one team and he's like, look, I want in, I want back, and they're not having to bid against anybody. Then Sean's sitting there like, well, I want to go to this team, but I don't want to be just depleted of all the draft picks. Right. Which I think he'd be willing to live with a little bit if he goes to a team with a good quarterback, you know, right. like the Chargers. But you just you want teams bidding against each other. Because I teams can laugh and be like, no one's going to give up a first-round pick. I mean, they teams gave up multiple firsts for John Gruden. Yeah, and if I mean, a, if an owner is desperate enough... Yeah, I mean at least one, right? I mean, and that's what Saints coach, that's what the Saints can need. Last for a long time, man. Like a coach is going to do a lot more for you than than any given first round pick, right? Unless you unless you nail the guy with your first round pick. A coach would probably do more for you with development of other players and the Bucks and did it and they plan. got a Super Bowl out of it. So, that's what I'm saying. You know, uh the Raiders got a bunch of picks and suddenly went from contending team to the worst team in football for many years. 
Wow. It did not like, and I'm not. I'm not putting it all on Gruden. Some of it had to do with Al Davis as as he got older and, mm-hmm. and health issues and in his mind. And I'm not trying to make jokes, but Tampa Bay gave up the draft picks. They got a Super Bowl and were good for a stretch. Yeah, Oakland got draft picks and they slowly became the most. You know, they went That's well a over point. a decade without even having a winning record. I'm saying, yeah, yeah, but. Uh... Here's a question, just because it led me to this. What? When was the, about? What year was this happening? I'm trying to think. This was uh, 2001. So was this 2002? I think it was. It was, what, two, it was It was 2002. Would one of those picks years have ago. been Jamarcus Russell? Uh, no, no, no. Okay, was, okay. No, the Raiders are in okay. that one all by themselves. Okay, okay. I was curious because he he was in the news. Uh, yeah. what, was it Blaze that wrote the article on in this? Yeah, no, really yeah. He, he went on a podcast. Really good article. And he, you know. It, he some of his stuff. It was a good interview. It was a good interview. Like some of the stuff was, of course, you grab a few quotes and those are the headlines. Yeah. Like he wasn't, he was taking responsibility. He wasn't saying it's only because of the Raiders, right? That's what the headline made it sound like. But he also called out the Raiders of like, look, man, I was, uh, I was immature. I had all this money. I had addiction. Like I had these problems. Mm-hmm. And they never even they never cared. tried to help me. They were just like, do this or else. And he said, you know, when I was at LSU and I had problems, they they always tried to help me with anything. You yeah. know, and personally, he's like, I got, and part of that is, okay, well, now you're a pro. You need to take care of yourself. Having said that. He's a 22-year-old with like millions he, and millions of the dollars. The number one overall pick in the quarterback you probably want to invest a little yeah. bit of time in, but you know they had a coaching change. And that was a different NFL. And then at Tom time Cable, too. a very old school yeah. guy, was like, "I don't really want you." You know, I want you know you. you it was just it was a it was it was bad all around. It was a bad a, fit. It was a, it was a bad fit. It was. You had an owner that wanted him to throw it ninety yards every play. <laughs> you had a coach that wanted to run the ball, then you fired him, then you had another coach that wanted to run the ball, then you had a quarterback who was addicted to coding and had a ton of yeah, money I and mean, no one on the team liked him and he was immature by his own admission. It was you didn't have you gotta have guys working together. I mean, I don't know that Jamarcus would have made it anywhere. I have no idea. No, you know. could say, well, if he had been drafted by this team, you don't know. Right. But you do know that at that moment in time, the way the Raiders were, it was it was just destined. It yeah. was it was doomed from the start. I mean I watched I watched a bunch of that that podcast that he went on and it seemed like it was there was a very fine balance between him claiming responsibility for some things and for some things he kind of just deflected it. Like I know the, I know the tape story yeah. he completely He didn't deflected. deny it. He didn't deny it. He didn't it. deny it, but he completely deflected it and I, I like I checked the comments cuz I always like to do that and someone was like he didn't answer that question. No, he, no, he, he that but story's true. They gave enough. him and he but yeah. he you know what he also said cuz he's like Oh, I didn't watch a lot of tape. Like no. he admitted all yeah, that. Yeah, that's fair. So, like no, you didn't even watch the tape they gave you to watch, which wasn't even game well, right, film. But yeah, then you lied yeah, about it. Yeah, and I mean, it, it's at the end of the day, it just comes down to like Jamarcus Russell was one of those. Like, he's a perfect example of the type of thing that I don't think would happen in the NFL today. Someone like that in the NFL today, maybe with that much hype around them. Would probably have the best resources, right? Right, they would have more re- that, offered, to your at point. least offered to them. Not to say that that Not he couldn't be a take. bust. Oh no! But the resources would be it wouldn't. You, I feel like he'd be in a better personal position whether he played well or not. Or a team would just you know they they would help him, and then you could eventually reach a point where it's like okay, 
we got to cut bait. This yeah, isn't right, working. Right. Um, but they wouldn't just basically be like, hang him out to dry. Change, do yeah. something. It's like, man, y'all already paid him the money. So right. y'all better do, y'all better do something. Yeah. I think, I think the NFL has kind of discovered like you can't just develop players physically and like for the game anymore. You have to develop them mentally as people with like their mental health and all that kind of things. Yeah. It's, it's, it's something. I mean, you give a twenty-two-year-old millions and millions of dollars. And that it's gonna was happen. Before they had the the cap on the rookie deal, so it Correct. was just, it was it was, it was over fifty it was million West. dollars. Yeah. And then they tried to get some of it back, and um, you know, he's he's had his struggles. He was an incredible physical talent. I oh, mean, dude. I remember at LSU, you know, as a redshirt freshman, like man, they have this young guy. He can sit on it. He can kneel at the 50 yeah, and throw the it through the goal. And then he did. And you're like, yeah. oh, my God. I mean, he would throw these bullets. And he had this great talent. And he was he was good at LSU. It's, it's not oh, like yeah. he was he was a bad player. But um, it, one thing he said, he's like, if you're going to call me a bus, put biggest because, in front of it. Put the biggest in front of it. And that, like, that's like the kind of self uh, awareness. self-awareness that I think really could have helped him. You know, twenty years ago. Yeah, and now he's you know he's he's older now. He's he's older. He's wiser. He's able to look back at it probably very differently and open For about sure. his struggles. I think, I think the biggest bust ever is Ryan Leaf. Um, yeah, I, I'd have to agree with. And that. Ryan, I think I'm gonna have Ryan on the show next week, dude. So I gloves off just let's let's <laughs> let but 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 it's easy because i say gloves off i'm not going to fight him like <laughs> I mean, he's he's so open <laughs> i mean like no sugar coating like no, let's yeah. just talk about it yeah. let's be real about it let's talk about why you're the biggest bust you know what it i mean he's never he's hear. never not been forthcoming about that as well no, as he, I'm aware. He, he for years he was he was an addict and since he went to jail and Went through rehab and, you know, as he said, found God. And he still has struggles. He still has issues here and there. But in the last, I don't know, I would, I don't know the exact time frame, maybe five or six, you know, he's been a lot, he's been open about it once he sort of got out of the denial stage. And as he put it, I don't know, I'll have to ask, you know, when was the moment where it was like, I'm just going to be open about everything and yeah. put it all out there. That's going to be an awesome interview. I'm looking forward, looking forward to, to it. it. I'm looking forward to it. Um, you know, I've been uh, I've met Ryan a few times because he's called some UL games um, as a color analyst, and he'd have to come into this building to do his show on Sirius Radio, mm-hmm. and so he needed a studio and like a setup. And I remember talking to him a few years ago, and I just got his number and like, man, if you ever want to just yeah. put all put it all, give me all you got. Give me all you got. Um, oh, but no, I'm looking forward to it, man. That should be good. I don't know. I don't know exactly when, but I would say in the next few weeks. Cool. Expect to hear Ryan Leaf on the Great Scott Show, Dang. and let's get real about it. You know, I wonder if him and Jamarcus have ever met. Like, wouldn't That's it be scary. interesting to get the two of them in a room? Num- well, number one and number two overall picks, but two quarterbacks who are you know. Uh, Viewed as two of the biggest busts of all time. Yeah, and I mean, pretty, not to say that there haven't been huge busts, but when you're a quarterback, no, I mean that's a, such an important position, and it's so much money that they throw at you. It's, and and they've not not dissimilar stories. I mean, it's it's a very interesting. Like these guys are probably some of the best people to learn from. Just incredible physical you know? talents. Oh, like yeah. USL at the time played a game at Washington State when Ryan Leaf was there and. I mean, my friend Jay Walker, he describes it as probably the worst road trip ever. <laughs> like, to get to Pullman and 
they I think it was like they lost like seventy to seven. I mean, Ugh. he was such an elite talent in college. Yeah. And you know, Jamarcus Russell was as well, but his stage was LSU was a bigger stage than Washington State. And For sure. Washington State was good, and they went to the Rose Bowl that year, and they lost barely to Michigan, who had a share of the national title that year. But, like, it was more like, you know, the games were later. Mm-hmm. It it was – there was a difference between how sports was covered just in, you know, 97 compared to 2006. You know, it just – it was different as far – like like Russell, I think – Ryan Leaf really went from Heisman candidate, you know, putting up these crazy stats to should the Colts take Peyton Manning or Ryan Leaf? Right. And, you know, it, it, I think the Colts made the right decision. <laughs> the went, I think the Colts won there. It's, it's, it's hard to – a lot of people struggle to, like, have empathy for athletes, I think, that are in the limelight and have personal struggles but make a ton of money because they're like, mm-hmm. hey, you know, I would do anything to make that. But – I don't know, man. It's it's impossible to put your for me anyway to put myself in that situation. I have no idea. Right. No. And I mean, no. I, I as someone who like a lot of the people around me have mental health issues, and I like a, it's something that you know those people tend to congregate together, and we we you know like to be able to have support by people who understand. A lot of these dudes, these athletes with mental health issues, particularly, they show up. No one really understands what they're going through. And they all all people do is kind of throw money at the, or at least they used to do. All they would do is throw money at the problem. You know, here we're get, we're going to give you this big contract. Now you should be happy. And you know, any anyone who has any mental health issues would tell you, you could be you could be in the best mood ever. And if you are having an episode or something is going down, you will you you could have just won the lottery and you'd still be disappointed, right, and right. miserable. And it's yeah. like these guys they they need that kind of. Especially because they're all young when they get in the league. I, I keep harping on this because well, you need structure in a sports. System. Yeah, it's what's. Well, I'm that age, you know, and I could, I couldn't imagine being a professional athlete. Right some now. guys and some some guys have like, you know, I think Ryan Leaf's been open. Like, his parents were good. Yeah, he came from. Well, it wasn't. He had a support system, and yeah, it still didn't. It still work. not enough. There's no him. guarantee. Some guys come from, you know, humble beginnings where they don't have much of a support system, and they they handle it all. It just yeah. there's no. There, there's no guarantee, but the odds, I would say, are better when you have a good support system. Of course, place. yeah. You know, it's just yeah, yeah. Twenty-four after the hour, ESPN Lafayette. So let's get back to the Sean Payton talk yeah, for a minute. What do you think? All like, like, I, I think we could all agree he's he'll be coaching in twenty twenty-three. I think so. I, I think a lot of signs would point to Dallas, although. I think the Chargers make more sense. Um, could it be somewhere else? I don't think so. I mean, all, all the report really says is, "Hey, if these teams have openings, look out." It wasn't really. I don't know. I do well. I think it's funny that you. <laughs> we we always talk about the Chargers being a dark horse in their division, and now you have the Chargers as a dark horse to get Sean Payton. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. <laughs> but That's no, I mean, true. I don't really. I don't. I'm trying to think because you got to understand at this point, Sean Payton can pick where he wants to go. You know, if a team offers him and then it's not the right number and it's not the right situation, I don't think he'll take right, it. Right, right. No, he it, so, it's is any team with an elite quarterback that needs a head coach when January rolls around yeah. is going to be high on Peyton's list. Of course. And, I, I mean, I think Dallas maybe. It, that That's something he would have to talk with Jerry Jones and say, okay, you know, hey, Jerry, look, like, let, let, let go of the reins a little bit, you know. 
Trust me. Good luck. But no, good, I mean they're friends. They're friends, so it's not like he's going in blind. Right. He's been on the staff, so he we kind of know what he's getting into. Well, he worked. Yeah, he worked different with than a coach that's staff, just huh? never been yeah. around Jerry Jones. There is a relationship there, which I do think changes things. But you know, for years it was well, his family's there. Well, now his son's in college. His daughter is lives in L.A. Mm-hmm. Which LA, there you Chargers, go, yeah, right? There you, go. you know, and, and and you know he's married for the second time and his wife's wherever he is so it's not i don't think that old it used to be for years oh he's gonna leave the scene he's gonna go to dallas and it never happened mm-hmm. now he's gonna fill in for jimmy johnson former cowboys coach on fox for probably four or five times and come january depending on you just I, again saints fans you want a bidding war that's yeah, what you want absolutely you want multiple teams with elite quarterbacks and a good roster to need a new head coach come January. And if that happens, then you're not going to go into next year's draft without a first-round pick. You'll have one. I wouldn't be surprised if what happens at the end of the year is that Dallas goes to put a bid in and some team comes out of the woodwork to just good. throw their name in. And that would probably be an ideal situation. Because if, if a team comes out of left field, like, I don't know, for whatever reason – some some coaching change happens, and a team just comes out of the woodwork. I would not be surprised if you would see that kind of bidding. But you want happen. you want Sean to. He has a say in it too. Who's who's if it's the, one if it's multiple teams and he's like got his, he's like no, I'm only going to do it with this one team. Right. Then it kind of hurts the Saints yeah. a chance to get a big package. But then it helps Sean Payton because he say, wants to go to a new team and he doesn't want to have all these draft assets depleted. Do so you, do you, there's a lot of yeah. layers to this onion. Do you think Sean Payton gives any cares about what happens with the Saints and their compensation for him? I don't think he no, and, no. I, and I, 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 don't, I don't bemoan him for that. No, I mean, no, I don't. I don't think. Business, I, mean, I don't. I think he cares in the sense that he. He's as a competitor. He right, wants he wants to keep as much as he can. But no, I've heard that take. You know, I think Peyton will want to help. Is no, no. Not, I don't think Peyton. He, once he left, once he left, I, I think this year he'll root for the Saints. I think sure. he, I think he has I a mean, lot of relationships. I yeah. think he'll want them to do well. But if he's a coach on another team. I mean, it's yeah, no, it's, you know, it's all business. You know how petty that guy is. <laughs> yeah, Even though the Saints didn't do him wrong at all, no, I don't think he's going to be like, yeah, let me help you get an extra couple of draft well, picks. I think in his mind, you know, because Sean Payton is at the, at the beginning and the end of the day of competitor. I read the book that he wrote after they won this, the, uh-huh. the Super Bowl. I read it hunt, like dozens of times, and he's just a competitor. He'll make up stuff like in his head to give himself that competitive edge. I know a lot of athletes do that. I used to do that all the time, but. Like, I could totally see a situation where Sean Payton is saying this is a revenge game against the Saints when the Saints haven't done him wrong at all. Uh, just for for the sake of competition, because he knows it'll fire his guys up, because he knows wherever he lands that it'll get him yeah. a little bit of extra effort out of his players. Um, you got an email here from one of our listeners, Jay. It's a sarcastic email. It's funny, though. That's great. This taking the Chargers job could affect his legacy. He has to keep his <laughs> legacy intact. Jay, like me, hates... <laughs> The stupid, I like. I I appreciated Kevin Durant's tweet of how did you impact your legacy? How did you improve your legacy today? I was like, trust me, Sean Payton. He his name will be trending every Sunday of the NFL season. Oh, of course. A lot of that is going to be because of the Cowboys. Because anytime they lose, it's going to be out there. Anytime the Cowboys lose, anytime a coach has a bad challenge, right? Any coach in the league. 
But the I, I do think the Cowboys thing because they drive so much of the talking head shows. Well, of course, that what, what Jay just said sarcastically is going to one hundred percent be one of the dumbest of takes course. from somebody that gets paid millions of dollars to talk about sports. They will say that at some point. Yeah. Well, you know, L.A. or Dallas. Oh, he can't go to the Chargers. That would impact his legacy. He's got like it's going to happen. It's, like he's saying it now in July. Come I'm, January, if the Chargers and Cowboys both need a head coach and. That's someone's gonna have that dumb. If take. I if I see that take, I will tweet it immediately. Oh, it's gonna happen, and, and I'll tell And then people are gonna be like, it. "It's true." It's like, true. Oh no, my it's god! Shut up, dude. What will affect his legacy is if he goes to LA and wins them their first Super Bowl, or if either or, or or to Dallas. Like it doesn't matter if he. That's what I'm saying. Well, the spotlight's bigger in Dallas, hey, but, and yeah, now you're insinuating what all these dumb talking heads say that based on the market you're in, it impacts your legacy, even if you have the same amount of championships, which is. So and that, stupid. And that turns the NFL into the MLB, and we don't right. want that. The NFL is, yeah. I look, the Cowboys are different. I'll always admit that. Dude, they're, they're America's they, team. They, they, they draw a different reaction and a different <sighs> rating number than the LA Chargers. Yeah. Uh, you win a bunch of rings somewhere, you succeed somewhere, you go to the Hall of Fame. Sure. I mean, come on, legacy. Give me that crap. Legacy. Legacy. No, it it it, it impacts your job because you get to have more content. You get to talk about a team that you always talk about. You know whose legacy is going to be impacted? Drew Brees, because he's not a good commentator. No, like, well, he's not still his first battle. Right, right, not correct. Well, not his football legacy. Of course. I mean, that's kind of apples to oranges, though. Wow. I mean, Sean Payton, we're talking about coaching anyway. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of, it's a good just, segue, though. I just wanted to jump another. I wanted to pull a segue, and I wanted to have another legacy. It's good. It's good. Um, it's cool. oh. We're talking about Drew Brees. No, but that's a good segue. We need to take a quick timeout. Right. Hold that thought. Because Drew Brees, there is a uh, report out about what his next broadcasting gig is. And, you know, I talked about this last hour, but it's uh, to say that it is a gigantic (laughs) drop from what he did last year. Such a weird thing. It's an understatement. Mm. I was was not one that said, I think Drew's going to be a great commentator. I I question it all the time. Like, just because someone's good on the field doesn't, you know, when has he said something after a game that drew big headlines? He's always, is he going to be able to go in there? I think he can break down film, but Mm -hmm. can he keep it entertaining? Can he keep it loose? Can he do all these other things that matter? And turned out he wasn't good at it. Right. But now, maybe with a different... TV partner of the NFL. He'll be doing games, but not in the exact same. It's. We'll explain next. Don't go anywhere. It's the great Scott Show, ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. Sports talk that's so legit, it smells like beer and chicken wings. I mean, can't you smell it? I'm smelling barbecue, too. ESPN Lafayette, ESPNLafayette.com, and the ESPN Lafayette app. While the team's giving all they got against the opponent, He's given all he's got on the airwaves. Give me all you got! Give me all you got! It's the Great Scott Show with Scott Prather on ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. Hang on, no, please. <laughs> Move me. Welcome back into the Great Scott Show, ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. 
Your weather forecast today from the Storm Team 3 Weather Lab and Daniel Phillips. Partly cloudy. High of 91, 70% chance of rain and thunderstorms. There is a report from Michael McCarthy of Front Office Sports that Amazon Prime is eyeing Drew Brees for the Thursday night football telecast. Now, not that Thursday night football telecast. As many of you probably know, that is the great Al Michaels on play-by-play, and Kirk Herbstreet is going to be the color analyst, and Amazon now has all of your Thursday night football. Not the NFL season opener, that's network TV, but every week after that. Mm-hmm. So between, I guess... The last Thursday night game is maybe weeks. It's, it doesn't go to week 18. I think it's like week 15. Mm. Um, so weeks 2 through 15, if your team isn't in the your team, if, you're, if the team in your market is not playing in the game, the only way for you to see it is if you have Amazon Prime. Um, that's a different discussion. Gus and I might get into that a little tomorrow, just sort of the, the future of streaming NFL games. Mm. But Drew Brees... They are apparently eyeing him for an alternate broadcast that would run for four to six weeks and would be a broadcast that just features only quarterbacks. That's. I mean, this isn't the Manning cast, which is more of guys hanging out, mm-hmm. making jokes, and talking football. The Manning cast really does feel like sitting in front of the TV with your buddy. Right. And they, they, to both of their credit, they have good comedic timing. Fantastic. Good chemistry. And they had great interviews. I mean, Drew Brees, one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. Have you ever been like, man, he's a funny dude? Not really. You're right. No, it's not, not a really. bad thing to say. It's just not, you know, he's he's not. He, he, he wasn't even bad as a broadcaster. He was just meh. Yeah. And the expectation was that he was going to be incredible. Now, he was bad when he called the one playoff game, which was, you know, I, I think I think he kind of got a raw deal there. Everyone was like, yeah. oh, he did bad. That's It's like he's in his first year, and, like, it, he, didn't, he, he didn't do bad with Notre Dame games. He was just, he was bad. Oh, yeah, he's just, eh. But, like, suddenly you're going to be like, we're done after one year. Like, okay. Um, but to go from... We want you to eventually replace Chris Collinsworth. We're going to put you in the studio. We're going to put you on Notre Dame games. We're going to have you call a few NFL games on network TV to an alternate broadcast on Amazon. That's a that's a pretty big broadcasting drop in only yeah. one year. Yeah, I, I don't for know. four to six weeks. Like, I feel like you kind of got a raw deal. I feel like uh, I feel like there's definitely some something going on there. Like, there must have been something going on where. Maybe just everyone's trying to move to a different style of calling games on network TV or something like because the Manning cast was super successful. Wait, I wonder if they're trying to it, move more towards I that mean, casual. It was, style. it was, it was, it wasn't. Yeah, but let's be honest. It wasn't like they, their ratings were insane. No, it, it was, was successful. Where I think the Manning cast was successful was on social media. Yeah, like of I didn't. I, I might maybe once or twice during a lousy game. I was up and I'm like, let me watch it and laugh. But it didn't air every week, and the TV ratings for it weren't, like, superb. It was, man, look at this one moment from last night mm-hmm. that was so funny, and now it's trending on social. So it was good from a, like, branding standpoint, but it wasn't like they were 
you know, everyone was watching that instead. Like the actual Monday night broadcast still had yeah. much bigger ratings than the Manning cast. Well, I challenge you. I, I would challenge you to find out if they're really losing that much money on the Manning cast, though. No, I don't. Like, they're I don't think they're losing. No, no. Why? Because I think what what it, I think it's doing what it's supposed to do is it's making that right. that social media buzz. It's making that splash. Yeah. It's maybe getting more casual sports fans in because they just want to. They know who Peyton Manning is. Oh, that's his brother who also played football. So to your Let's point, it was show. successful not in the traditional TV sense, but in what they set out to do. Right. I think yeah. it was successful to make a social media buzz, capture some yeah. casual fans, get some, it some was jokes funny. and memes out. Right. Yeah, that's what they it, wanted. It had a it, it had a positive response. I agree. And so, yeah, to your point there. Um, but an alternate broadcast of just quarterbacks on Amazon. Like, it's one thing when you're watching on ESPN and you just go to ESPN 2 I I don't. I have a pitch for this. I think I know how they could make this work, and it would only work for people like me and maybe you and like real stat like analytics heads. But it would be crazy if they did the basically the exact inverse of the Manning cast. You have a couple quarterbacks in, you put them in like a film room with a TV, and you have them really break it down, like really get into the minutia of like the coverages and stuff. So you the, would watch players. that instead of just watching the game? Yeah, I probably would. Uh, it, Unless the Saints were playing. If the Saints were playing, I'd watch the regular broadcast. Yeah. But if it's like if it's two teams I don't care about, or if it's even if it's a team that I kinda care about, like I would just I would watch that because it's interesting. It's, I, it's I, interesting to watch some of the brightest minds in football. I just break feel down like football. you can kind of already get that a lot of places. Maybe not in the moment. That's what I was saying. Is in the moment. But like in the moment, I don't know. I I would just I just want to watch the game. That's fair. I mean Have I'm, you ever let me ask you this. Have you ever watched a broadcast? Or do you ever watch a broadcast based on who's calling the game? Absolutely. When? Uh, any time, any any sport, any game that Kevin Harlan is calling. All right, no, he is awesome. He's fantastic. But and back in the day, I would watch every John Madden game. You would you would watch it just because of them? Yeah, absolutely. And not because it's the biggest NFL game and it's football that's on TV. Well, like that's the thing. Like the, John Madden, yes, it was right when I was when I was listening to John Madden. But Kevin Harlan doesn't really always get huge games. No, he doesn't. He should be the the. I love Kevin Harlan on like the the radio call of the Monday night games, where it's yeah. like or Sunday night or something, uh, whichever one it is, just to hear him going nuts. Um, Gus Johnson, same I, I don't, thing. Yeah, I I like those guys, but I just I I don't I don't think you're, and I could be wrong here. I don't feel like you're in the majority. I'm not. Like I think broadcasting people are going to react positive or negative, mm-hmm. and they're still going to watch the game. Right. Like Chris Collinsworth, who I think does a great job, gets crapped on all the time, but everyone's watching Sunday Night Football. Yeah. Because it's Sunday Night Football. We gotta understand, I think, I think this, and this is kind of unfair, but I think good commentators and bad commentators keep their jobs. Decent to okay commentators are the ones that That's lose. Funny. You that's know, funny, but that's I think it's funny, true. But I think you're right. I think I'm totally right. And look, I'm gonna, <laughs> I could drop some names. I don't know. Yeah. I'm gonna stay positive. I'm gonna, I could drop some names, but I won't. But everybody knows, everybody who knows me definitely knows who I'm talking about. There are some commentators that I think should not be allowed to speak in public, much less commentate over an NFL football game. And uh, these guys are going to keep their jobs because they get buzzed. They get people talk about them, whether it's positive or negative. No publicity is bad publicity when what you're talking about is is, is, as unimportant to the grand scheme of things as a a football game. I think they're just – I'm surprised at – like huge growing salaries yeah. 
of the broadcasters at the top. Yeah, that's not to say you, you you could look at it one way and be like, well, look at how much they're paying to to have the rights to air these games. Like, yeah. look at the look at the money cow that the NFL is for these networks. I, mean, I get it, but I just if 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 Tony if it wasn't Tony Romo and it was Trent Green, it wouldn't be as good a broadcast. No. He's 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 okay. He's not. A, he's he's an okay color analyst. He's fine. Mm-hmm. But you're still watching it because it's the biggest game on TV. So are you going to, you know, not watch the game because Trent Green is calling it? Yeah. Are you not going to watch America's Game of the Week? No, you're going to watch it because it's the biggest game. Yeah, that's fair. I feel like like the noon games, you can make more of an argument for like for that kind of thing. But Or sorry, for the opposite of that. So like for the Sunday night game, the Monday night game, the Game of the Week, right? The money, People have been complaining about Monday night football's broadcasters for years. And yet, everyone's still watching Monday Night Football. Yeah, I've seen the ratings. But I guess the thing is, Jason Witten was bad. Booker really McFarland have... wasn't good. People were still watching <clears throat> it, and it was it wasn't. They were talking. No one was like, "I had to turn it off." That's maybe it, maybe last year, to your point, they're like, "Let me check out the main gas." But no one was like, "I got to turn this off. This is ridiculous." It's not, yeah, it's not egregious, right? right. Like I, it's it's, and that's why I'm like, look, you can still hire good talent and pay them, and good for those guys getting paid. I'm not mm-hmm. I'm not hating on it. I just. It's kind of like, are you, you're investing all this money and paying all this money. The product is ultimately what's getting them there. Now, you can enhance your broadcast a lot. And I'm glad they're investing in it for the record. I'm just a little surprised that suddenly Aikman was getting paid like six, seven mil at Fox. Good money. Now he's going to get paid like close to 20. Like, that's a huge number for ESPN (sighs) who spends more money for each Monday night football game than an entire season of Game of Thrones on HBO. Look, I, That's how much the NFL pays to the ESPN pays for the Monday Night Football. I was package. always told if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. So as, as far as Troy Aikman goes, I will I will move on. Um, not to like Troy, he's fine. I think I don't think he's that good. he's fine. But I think like I think well, you did bring up Tony Romo, and I think that that brings up an interesting point. There's guys like to Tony, you guys like your Tony Romos, you guys like to an extent Peyton. Although the Manning cast was definitely a more casual version of that. Kind of hit on something that, and like I said, people like me who are definitely not in the majority. We are we are a sect of football fans who just really dig into the numbers and uh-huh. like the coverages and all that kind of stuff. I would pay, I would I would probably pay money to watch NFL football games. I don't know how they would do this. Like I'm I'm a videographer and I don't know how they would do this. To have NFL games where you have the color analyst be able to like highlight coverages as they're happening oh i mean madden he used to he used to use that that marker a lot now it was usually like there's a guy right here you know wasn't yeah but it was fun Ah, and and just see that right there boom especially with his complex (laughs) (laughs) with as complex as these coverages and these plays are yeah man one of the greats i think you got to do a good job of being in between yeah get in get out explain it in terms that a lot of people can understand you know who I think does a good job of that, but will never get a consistent gig calling NFL football games. You mentioned him in your interview, or before your interview, Pat McAfee. Oh well, Pat Amazon, McAfee. Amazon's is looking at Amazon's looking at him as well, and I, but not, I guess, for the telecast that Breeze would no, be on. Probably. That would be hilarious. Talk about getting, <laughs> you know, the Eagle Scout with the Wild oh, Kid God. and having Drew try not to that like try to keep it straight when McAfee makes kind of a. Uh, an off-the-cuff, inappropriate joke during a broadcast, yeah. that would be funny. 
That is um, so good. We got well, open phone lines, 337-269-1077. Let's head to the phone lines right now. Good morning. Welcome into the Great Scott Show. Hey, guys. How you doing? Good. How's it going, man? Hey, you talk about people that shouldn't be opening their mouths or shouldn't be making comments that a professional that do it for a living. There was a comment made yesterday by uh, Dominique Foxworth. Did y'all see that? No, I can't say that I did. Sean McVay, their coach, to Vince Lombardi because he ran a more complicated offense. Sean McVay is a better coach than Vince Lombardi because he ran a more complicated offense? Yes, yeah, so he was. He, he was an innovator on the offense. <laughs> you know, th- those those kind of things. That, that that's what you talked about a while ago. People that say things to get reactions. I mean, you know, I, I don't know. They, I I guess I don't know. If, I don't know what that does for the money because that's at the end of the day, that's what matters, right? These 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 big these big companies that are doing all this, they they care about the money at the end of the day, but. I totally yeah. see your point as a, as a sports fan being well, frustrated. As, as a Packers fan, I see your point well, being frustrated. You but you know, if you're if you're on a debate show and you need to take a side, or you need you're a writer, I mean, I mean, yeah, absolutely. You, you, you know, you got to pick a side. It, it's kind of like I, I I don't I I don't think he should be muted. Uh, I don't know that I necessarily agree with him, but right. when you start comparing eras, I always find that annoying. But you know, yeah, McVeigh McVeigh no, probably. McVeigh McVeigh runs a more complicated offense, but so That's does true, but, but so does everyone else. Yeah, I was gonna say like and and at the time Lombardi was doing things that other coaches weren't, so he was innovative in his own right. Um, but you know, you start comparing different eras and 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 It'll things never be like fair. that. It's just I don't know. I mean, it's like you know, would 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 Bill Russell have won eleven rings if he was going up against Shaq in his prime? Of course not. And but like, are we going to hold that against the guy that won eleven championships? Like, yeah, come on, right? And I'll also say another point here to 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 make a distinction on is there's a difference between an analyst and a commentator. Like an issue with a commentator could be they could just be calling the game poorly, or they're they're super biased to one side or anything of that nature. Whereas an, an analyst is required to well, take a side uh, on uh, most uh, points. Uh, uh, Color analysts and commentators say, but I, I see what you're saying. You know, somebody that's not in the booth during a game. Right, 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 right. right. He's just, you're just upset because he, he didn't, you know, he, he said some bad things about this. He said some Lombardi. bad things, and it's, you know, I get yeah, it. I it's, get it's it. a totally but fair reason. I'm not going to say that he should be able to talk. Yeah, no, I think he's, you know, as an analyst, you're I don't even think, right. I, I hate to say, I don't even think that's even really a hot take. I think it's, I think it's, I don't, again, I don't I like the. I, yeah, I don't. I don't like those things. Of well, is he better? You know, I mean, what, what was JJ Redick? I saw some clip on social media of him going at Chris Mad Dog Russo <laughs> of like the guy was playing against plumbers. Like, yeah. stop comparing them. Yeah. And now it's like, okay, let's let's just stop comparing the eras. Let's let's compare it for Look, what it was. Uh, yeah, and the only thing I'll say about that is when people start winning the McVeigh Trophy when they win a Super Bowl, I think we'll be, right. we'll be right. the answer. The question will have been answered. Make the McVeigh Trophy. The McVeigh Trophy doesn't have the same ring to no. it. No, it's the Lombardi. It's the Lombardi, probably to the end of time. The man is football legend. The man, I mean, the man, the man is football. The man's great grandson plays at UL. Let's go! Come on, let's go! He come on. He plays tight end for the Cajuns. Let's go! You see that name Lombardi, and it's like that's a du- like that's a du- you, come on. You always say that's a dude, Joe Lombardi, right? Joe, Joe. coach, yeah. yeah, yeah, former former coach on the Saints staff, yes. doing his thing. Yeah, no, it's his son. His son plays at UL. Yeah. That's a, that's a dude, every time you see Lombardi on the back of a jersey, you know he's going to give you all he's got.
Give me all you got. There you go. You're just trying to set me up for that one. Give me all you got. That's really just it. a thing I, I hit on Fridays. So we'll do it a day early. Speaking of Friday, Gus Kangio on the show tomorrow. Uh, I think Brad Toppa might be on as well. We'll do a little Major League Baseball segment. Going to get into a lot of stuff. Don't go anywhere. The Dan Patrick Show is next. Nick, thank- Nick thanks for uh, hanging out this Absolutely, morning. Bro. Nick and Blaze will be hosting uh, Rise and Grind tomorrow yeah. and Monday. Join us bright and early. Lynn Burton will be uh, out doing his thing, doing his anime thing. Woo! Don't go anywhere. This is ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports.